You're listening to Episcopal Youth Ministry in ATL. Welcome back to another episode of Episcopal Youth Ministry in ATL. We're not in ATL. <laughs> We're in Indy for Forma 2019. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> we have Lisa Kimball here with us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's really we, fun. We figured out that we were at the same breakfast place. Took me a little while to figure it out. What did you have? I had bacon eggs benedict. Ooh. It wasn't called that, but it had bacon in it. Yeah. And then the salad on the side. It was a really yummy restaurant. I mean, everything was natural and organic. And did you have the, was there avocado on it too? There was avocado. There we go. I'm a native Californian. You cannot have a meal without an avocado. <laughs> so I used to say my favorite vegetables were avocado, asparagus, and um, artichokes. And I then I realized that I think asparagus is not technically a vegetable. I think it's a weed. Is there a difference? Camp weed, you should know. <laughs> we used to have a grow your own farm at Camp Weed. Yeah. When did you guys then, get rid of that? Um, I think it was around the same time that eighties. We realized the pigs on the campus were not in health code violation. So also we were feeding the pigs bacon and sausage and there's an ethical question to that. Easton's on this episode. Hey everyone. Hey Easton, how are you doing? I'm good. So an uh, episode. Yeah. Instead of <laughs> shouting from the corner. <laughs> so we wanted you here, Lisa, um, to talk a lot about... you needed about, a woman. Yes. Yes. Yes, especially... That's not the only reason why we wanted you. <laughs> you wanted an older woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> older person and a woman. I'm trying to figure out the demographics. Yeah. I think Paul says there's no age in Christ or something like that. Sorry. So, <clears throat> And I, yeah, that's true. I believe that. So uh, we wanted you here to talk about uh, camps uh, and, and the ministry they... Uh, provide to the Episcopal Church, and we know you're part of um, VTS with formation. So tell us a little bit about kind of how you came to the Episcopal Church and then how you came to that position and just a little bit about you. Sure. Well, I was, you know, I'm classically a cradle Episcopalian, although for me that was a little bit different. So I was born into a family um, in which my mother was a lifelong Episcopalian, second or third generation. My father was actually confirmed into the Episcopal Church the same day that I was baptized. So he grew up loosely in the Congregational Church and came over. Um, But what's interesting is we grew up, I grew up mostly overseas. So it was in the West, so it was the Anglican Church. So we were in California until I was three. We moved to London, England for three years, Germany for two and a half years, back to Oakland, California for a year. I finished high school in Toronto. And then the rest is history. I went back to California for college, um, and then now, you know, I've then lived in Minnesota for a number of years and now on the East Coast. But what's interesting is when I, th- I'm an only child, and I have lots of theories about only children too, but yes. I was an only child. Are you one too? Yes. I am too. You're, this yeah, you're now, one. Okay, well, this, this is, is a moment. This is a moment. So wow. tell me if, I, tell me if this, this very simplistic analysis works for you. My experience of only children is that there are parents who have an only child and are deeply loving but overly protective. Yes. Like sort of the bubble child, right? They're afraid that he or she or they if will... my grandmother's listening to this, I apologize okay. they, that you know, that, that you may get hurt, therefore be careful. Right. Then there's this other pod, which I am grateful to be from, which are the parents um, the parents who have only one for whatever reasons and want that one to experience it all. Yes. And so I was sort of pushed out in front and just let go, and my parents trusted me to live the adventure that was life. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. They were obviously healthy parents who loved me and created an environment at home where I was safe and I was supported and I was mentored, all those good things. <clears throat> but one of the things that was non-negotiable 
was church. So wherever we lived, we always went to church. And that doesn't mean it was exciting. It doesn't mean I always understood the language. It doesn't mean I could see what was going on. It means actually very little when I put it in conversation with what I now know about children's spirituality and formation, except the consistency of practice that I watched my parents pray. I watched my mother sing very loudly and my and very well, but my father sing very loudly and very poorly. Um, and, you know, we just did church. That's just what we did. It was usually the first place we found when we moved to a new neighborhood. And that was my formation, I think. Um, <clears throat> the irony is, having now lived in the youth ministry world and the camp world and now in the academic world of formation, I had none of the classic building blocks. I never was in a youth group. I was in a kind of discussion group in the crypt of my London parish with one big oak table and a light bulb hanging in the center. And Wait, were you a part of the Knights of the Round Table? <laughs> it was very much like that. Uh, so I was the youngest. I was like 11, and there was someone who was 27, and I, I kind of had a crush on him. But he like, now I look back, I realize he was kind of mentoring me, and he went on to be a priest. Um, but that was the closest I ever came to anything programmatic, and it was just because the vicar at the time realized there was this motley crew of us younger people and said, let's talk. But I never went to a summer camp. I went to a sports summer camp for field hockey, but I never went to anything like Christian camp. And I really didn't know anything about youth ministry until I was graduating from college at Stanford and was invited by the rector of the local parish I'd found my junior year to just, you know, typical thing. I'm a young adult, probably the only one for 20 miles. And he said, oh, would you help with the youth group? Uh, But it turns out he really knew what he was doing. And so he mentored me and a number of other volunteers very well into the leadership team for young people. He then also planted a summer camp program that you know was all volunteer. We took weeks off work to go do it. And that led to sort of my curiosity. That mm-hmm. led to my saying yes when I shouldn't have, when I was not really ready to be a parish staff person. It's a typical youth ministry. Yeah, lots of accidental moments that I now realize were Holy Spirit. Yeah. Led, um, my first job in the church was a parish administrator because our administrator resigned or... You know, ended her time at the parish, let's put it that way, very abruptly, right before um, Holy Week. So there was this sort of panic oh. about bulletins. And I was invited to help solve that panic and then stayed on and became, you know, various other things over time. So my formation has been accidental, but also very consistent in the sense of family. And then my own just curiosity that has led me to find spiritual mentors and take classes yeah. and read and have a spiritual director. And fast forward, Um, I am now at Virginia Seminary, and I earned my Ph.D. in Minnesota in education. Uh, And I purposely went to a public university because I was interested in marrying my love for church and ministry with human development and foundations around um, spirituality and the public realm. And so my dissertation was on the significance of godparents. And that led me to kind of be in this conversation about mentoring and godparents and what healthy communities look like. And I thought I was staying where I was. I was working at the University of Minnesota teaching and loving it. And then uh, Virginia Seminary invited me to apply for a position. And I was kind of reluctant at first. And in the end, again, God stirred. And I went to visit and it kind of got under my skin. And now I'm there. And I've been there almost 10 years. So it has been a position that's grown over time. I came in as the professor of Christian formation and congregational leadership and the director of the Center for the Ministry of Teaching. Now I'm the associate dean for lifelong learning, which means 
I oversee a number of the ministries and programs of the seminary that I call outward-facing, continuing yeah. ed, Christian formation, uh, digital media for ministry, uh, areas of action research that we do, and um, the center that was once the Center for Liturgy and Music and is now the Center for Liturgy, Music, and the Arts. So we do all of this together, and my love is for raising up faithful lay leaders and lay Christians and deeply engaged Christians across the church. Is that a position they have at other seminaries, or is that unique to... I think the combination is somewhat unique. Most seminaries have someone who's appointed to think about continuing ed. And the language of lifelong learning is coming on board online more and more that we realize that we, you know, we don't stop learning when we hit a certain age or graduate from a certain program. So this idea of continuous learning and adult learning in particular is really important. And most seminaries are wisely saying we cannot possibly, even if you come to us, which is also in negotiation, right? People are preparing for ministry in lots of different ways. If you have the privilege of attending a full-time seminary, and particularly in our case, a residential seminary, there's a lot you can experience and a lot you can learn. But we want you to leave hungry to learn more. And so this other side of seminary, which says we're going to walk with you in your ordained or lay leadership forever, uh, is really important. Because we learn in the moment we have the question, right? There's this critical moment when we are ready to learn, and we want our seminary to be responsive to that. That's really interesting, just because I think about a lot of churches and how they do like adult, specifically adult formation, and that's one of those things that I think people crave for a lot, and if your parish only has access to having like a rector's forum, then that means that they're missing out on the, this the other The classic thing. model, right, yeah. is the yeah. Sunday morning forum and maybe a Lenten series, yes. and probably one or maybe two, if you're lucky, midweek Bible studies mm-hmm. that are not accessible for people who have day jobs. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and they're often really sincere and deeply committed, but they're the same people often. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a colleague, Kyle Oliver, who, who has this great phrase. He often says, and I, I always get the number wrong, but we make it up every time anyway, but he says something like, you know, we're, we're forming the hell out of 20% of the Episcopal Church. You know, the same people who are faithful to coming to everything. Um, and what happens to the other 80%? And those are the people who are even trying to go to church. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the people who aren't there yet, right? Um, we can do better. Yeah. And, and that's, my, that's truly my vocation, is to uh, inspire all of us to fall in love with God and to understand this thing called following Jesus. So having the presiding bishop in place now and the way of love, which I've been involved in, is just music to my ears. This idea that we are all pulling together in this notion of... Uh, there is a way, and it is a way of love. It is a way of life. It is a transforming, um, radical alternative to being um, human in the world without God. So I am really excited about it. So one of the specific, specifics of See, that. it's a hard word. It's the, the biscuit and gravy that I had. <laughs> it's, still, it's just still It's a little there. gummy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one of the specifics that we want to talk about was yeah. the Episcopal Camp uh, project that I know you're a part of, um, and I'm super interested in it because as a former camp director, mm-hmm. shout out to Camp Weed, um, that was a big thing of like my ministry was I recognized the importance of camps, mm-hmm. specifically Episcopal summer camps in formation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's something incredibly special when a group of youth spend a week together in Christian living that, you know, harkens back to the book of Acts where a bunch of people are trying to figure out life after Christ has ascended. And I mean, it's 
one of the purest forms of Christian community, I think, when things are going great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know. so what are some of the qualities that you would say are, are happening in those communities when they're going great? Because I think you're absolutely right. I think it is very acts to... I think there's an openness. Yep. Um, I think there's a communal caring, mm-hmm. a communal, this is what we do. We don't really have to stand up and say, you know, hey, don't punch that person in the face. Right. Um, there's a mutuality and a mutual yes. accountability that is covenantal. There's a, right. there's a joy to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's hard because if you've ever been a part of like a community that is just lights out, incredible, they lift you up spiritually, mm-hmm. emotionally, sometimes physically. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's those but on full blast for a week. And, I mean, it's almost when you get out of that, mm-hmm. it's like you've hit the mountaintop. And now you're screaming down the hill like a roller coaster. Oh, now you're stepping into other podcasts later yeah. on about mountaintop experiences. Hold on, Matt. <sighs> no, I, there's so much here, right? Yeah. So, um, and that's just on the, the, the camper side. Absolutely. There's a whole other piece on what it means to work for summer camps. For staffing and, right. Or even doing, like, coming up and doing dean stuff for a week yeah. or something like that. Right. The chaplains that are recruited and the nurses and all of the good people who give, give time to camp. Um so to throw out, you know, an academic term, but it's not that academic, but <laughs> what we're talking about is the ecology of faith formation, right? Okay. So when I talked about my own formation that was accidental in so many ways, the reason it happened, the reason I think I am a Christian today is, is obviously because of God. God does the inviting. God does the beckoning, right? But it's the ecology of, of church as we know it as, as worship and gathered community, family, and our experience of everyday life. And so when you talk about loving camp and having the best experiences there, it's that sense that it complemented something that you were ready for from home. Yeah. And somewhere, even though you felt like you, you know, slid down the mountain all the way home and, you know, longed for the mountaintop again, you had enough people in your life, I'm guessing, who shared the experience of camp mm-hmm. with whom you could talk about it and that you yeah. could sort of have moments of, of sort of resurrection. Yeah. So there's that going on. Um, there's a lot to be said about how we learn as human beings, and this can be any age. We're highly sensate, right? So we learn best from experience. And why camp works so well is that it is 24 set. It res- we're talking about residential camp, although v- vacation Bible schools, yeah. Yeah. really well-done experiences like that. They're highly immersive, right? Our whole self, at best, is immersed in whatever it is we're living and breathing. And that means all our senses are engaged, and our learning then is, is sort of awakened all the things you started to hint at that can be not healthy are when we do not, we're not intentional about how that experience is being yeah. formed and how we're reflecting on it. And so one of my bugaboos, and maybe yours, is we throw the word community around a lot in mm-hmm. church. And that's probably another podcast episode for you all. <laughs> but um, I don't think we do people favors when we use it too lightly. Um, even in a residential seminary, we have to be very careful that we don't just say, oh, the VTS community. Because people who've been living there for two years, some of them feel that they're on the margins. Yeah, yeah. Some of them feel that they're completely connected. It's the best experience they've ever had. But we have to be really cautious about what do we actually mean by community. And then when we put Christian in front of it, mm. are we presuming? Are we imposing? Are you know, is God whatever? So I'm I, that way with with family. Yes. Like when people are like, "Oh, we're just a big family." Well, what family is to me exactly it may not be what family is right. to somebody else, and, and right. there may be baggage with. The word community, right? Or the yeah, and family, or family, right? Yeah. So, so uh, that's to say, everything you're saying, I, I echo. Um, 
what so my quick thing about camps is I had no I had volunteered for summer camps for years I had been a program director I'd never been an executive director but I've been the kind of volunteer staff or hired for a few weeks at a time staff over many years so I've watched and seen lots of different experiences of camp mostly done well I would say um, and I knew something was happening in all the ways you just described, and I watched the literally the conversion of faith that was happening for people who came to camp curious or open or even resistant and left feeling changed, feeling like God was part of their life, knowing something about how to pray, uh, knowing something about the Bible. I'll never forget teaching junior high kids the books of the Bible, you know, one of those little sung songs, and watching them, you know, act it out and over and over and over again. I saw one of those young men, he's in his 30s now, and he can still sing you know, the, all of the books of the Bible. Um, so the formation that's happened at camp can be very, very compelling. And I'd seen all that. And then I was invited to be part of the confirmation project, which was an ecumenical five-year study of youth confirmation across the church. And one of the dimensions of that that we were wise enough to invite in was a colleague of ours now, Jacob Sorensen, who is a Lutheran um, educator and researcher and he was interested in how does camp fit into this whole thing about adolescent formation. Because the Lutherans often have confirmation camp. So they often have dedicated weeks of camp that are focused on confirmation preparation. That's how they kind of came in the door. So he has something called the Effective Camp Project. And we finally have some real data about what is what does make up healthy camping, Christian camping. And what are some of the lasting benefits of it? We knew from the Association of ACA, which accredits American Camping Mm -hmm. Association, um, that there's a lot of benefits to youth development that happen at a healthy camp, period. We knew about that, but we didn't know about what was lasting and truly transformative and not just anecdotal from Christian camps, right? So I won't go into the whole project. Jake does much better. But they started with a small pilot project in in, in, uh, Wisconsin, and it's now become a much more ecumenical and national project. And they just keep refining the, the, the learnings. But what I would say is it's true in congregational life. It's true in camp life. We have to decide that we want to be intentional about our camp experience being Christian. And that sounds so obvious, but there are a lot of camp facilities that are owned by the church, um, and yet the people who run them are very good people, but they're burdened with the fiduciary responsibility of keeping it viable. So a lot of their work is about buildings and fundraising and recruiting and scheduling in the off-season and all the hard things of running a facility. And then program, and certainly the spirituality embedded in program, gets added in sort of when it the last minute when it has to, and again by volunteers who come up for a week. So we have to start somewhere, which is that we have to start with core convictions about to the, what extent do we want this existing camp program to be a Christian program. And then what Jacob's found is that the, the qualities of Christian camping that are sort of showing up everywhere are really obvious, but they're good things. So all of the program, the comprehensive experience from when a child registers for camp or is registered for camp to when that young person goes home is faith-centered. So everything is designed to incorporate faith. That doesn't mean you're talking Jesus 24-7, but it means everything points back to the love of God in Christ, right? So there are ways in which we can do that. Um, Everything is relational, duh, right? That we know that how we are treating each other and how we are treated, how we are loving our neighbor is a witness that really matters. Everything is participatory, so it's not top-down. It's not 
you know, expert with collar comes and teaches me about the Bible. It's expert with collar may come without collar and invite me to engage scripture in a way that I've never imagined and gets me totally excited. Or I get to help make decisions about the programming that I'm involved in. It's always safe. So it's a safe space. That's another contested term, right? People want to say, oh, this is a safe space. I can tell you it's a safe space, yeah. but it's not until you experience it as safe. So that's much more complex than just wanting it to be. But we can do that. We can yeah. create loving, forgiving, safe spaces that are, that are redemptive, right? And finally, <clears throat> this is really important. Um, our Christian camps truly need to allow the campers and the staff to unplug from home. Yeah. So that can mean literally unplugging from digital devices. But even more significantly, it means marking the departure from home, s- different ways of laying down those distractions, those anxieties, those hopes, those fears, and being fully present. So the unplugging part is not a small piece, which for a lot of urban kids, it means more contact with nature. For a lot of busy people, it means slowing down. Uh, for some of us, it means sleeping more. For some of us, it means laughing more, right? It's different ways we manifest unplugging. But those five characteristics show up across Christian camping. And they're not hard, any one of them, to, you know, embody and and embed. But we have to decide as core leaders of camp programs that we want them to happen. Yeah, and I I think it's interesting, too. Like, I've talked to Easton about this. Like, those are the characteristics you want in a youth group. You want Mm -hmm. them to, when a kid you know, goes to camp and experiences those and then comes back to youth group, you want them to unplug in a sense so that they can unplug from the world and not have to worry about some AP tests that they're, you know, freaking out that they're going to fail. You want them to engage in a programming, whether that's with somebody with a collar or not. That's right. And that it's not just another classroom. Um, And that it's an open and safe place for them to kind of explore their faith. And And to have some agency and authority. Yeah. And I I think... And that's their baptism. And I think that's part of the link between camp ministry, diocesan ministry, youth group ministries. That's right. I think a lot of times that we're just not having these conversations with the people that necessarily need to hear them. Yeah. It's when I think of camp ministry in diocesan youth ministry, because we do summer camp and we do diocesan youth retreats. And what I see is at diocesan youth retreats, the conversation about discipleship and what are we going what are we doing with that how are we bringing how are we evangelizing once we like leave from this experience um and so and and some people listening may think i'm referring to camp michael i'm not i have experience with a lot of summer camps now and i see it everywhere that it what you said about it being community and about that word and oh well it's you know a community of inclusivity and unconditional love and it's like yeah we talk about unconditional love and that's really important but i believe jesus needs to be at the center of that no i would say amen brother um there's so many places to start i i think you know we we have to be willing to try some things differently and make some mistakes but i've i'm convinced that if I, have, if I had a magic wand, I would begin with the staff in a camp setting. My own experience of our Episcopal camps is the dedicated people who give up their vacation time to come back and volunteer because their lives were changed by camp are stunning. But they're starved for their own formation. You know, yeah. Most of the young adults I know who come back year after year to be camp counselors, they say that's their church. 
they say, I can't go to church on Sunday because it's boring or it's not like this, or they have this kind of bi- bi- you know, polarizing, bi- you know, bipolar sense of camp is you know, the epitome of God's kingdom and, and local church is everything that it's not. And that breaks my heart because there are local churches that are thriving and are healthy and are engaging and, and are transforming lives. But enough people believe that, that we need to help some of those young adults find sustaining practices as a Christian in the world that get them away from just camp and have those experiences every day. Um, and so I think that we, you know, the best camps I know are, are doing some serious formation work with their, their staff, whether they're volunteers or paid summer counselors. They're, they're inviting them into, you know, prayer practices and, and, and reflection on vocation, talking about debt. You know, so many of these young adults are in debt because of college loans, and they're living with this anxiety about who they'll be when they grow up because they don't know if they'll ever pay their debts off. Um, that's, not, that's not a healthy, freeing place to be as a, as a person. It's hard to believe you're beloved of God if you're terrified. So that may be the entry point. But whatever their issues are, let's love them and form them well, because then they will in turn begin to understand why it matters to form their campers. One of my most vivid memories, and this is years ago when I was in the Diocese of California, I was the program director for a summer camp, junior high, and it was hot, and I was doing the nighttime rounds, all the kids were in their cabins, and I walked around the cabins, all the windows were open, and you know how you hear bits of conversation floating through and stuff? I walked by a boy's cabin, and I knew the counselor really well, great young man, um, and I heard these kids asking him very real questions, like, you know, do you have a girlfriend? And, and you know, what's her name? And, and then one of them said, do you live, do you have, didn't they didn't say do you have sex? They said, do you live together? Well, I knew perfectly well he lived with his girlfriend. I knew perfectly well they were serious about their relationship. And I listened to this person just choking in trying to respond to these kids in the cabin because he thought there were things he was not supposed to say. Mm. And he also had enough integrity to not want to lie, right? Yeah. So I listened to him just tripping over, well, yeah, we, we really love each other and we really respect each other. And these kids kept pestering him. Well, well, do you kiss her? Like, what, you know, <laughs> what more do you do? And then I walked away. I thought it was not mine to listen to. But that triggered a, early years ago an urgency in me to help adults who are doing youth ministry or camp ministry learn to know themselves and know their own understanding of faith mm-hmm. and the doctrine that we believe we uphold in ways that they're comfortable and can talk about it and can yeah. not feel like it's preachy and it's judgmental. And so that started a whole thing on human sexuality and faithfulness. And it was amazing. But it was it was this sad moment, I thought, because had he had better language for what it meant to be a Christian and how he'd made the choices he made, it would have been easier in that moment for him to help that young person really understand something, right? I have no idea what that young person took away. Um, But that's the kind of urgency, I think, is that we have to give our staff, a lot of our good Episcopalians, but especially camp people, are kind of frozen in a faith development place that is highly experiential, but not deeply reflective. So they haven't done the critical thinking to figure out, is this my faith? Or is it just that I like it because I like you? I was going to yeah. say that we don't – it seems to me that if if camp is over in one section, we haven't figured out a way to bridge back home. Right. Um, so, I mean, and as I was joking about how we're not going to talk about mountaintop experiences because that's another podcast. But it's it's that whole conversation of how do we – how do we then get back in? Mm-hmm. Um, or how do how do we even f- feel the same feelings that we had 
while we were at camp. Mm-hmm. But finding a finding a place, or maybe that's also creating your creating your own spiritual experience and back home and saying like, hey, this is something that I felt at camp. I want you all, you know, whether that's my church family, whether that's my other spiritual families, um, I want you all to have a similar experience. How can I bring that to you? So then we can then say that that's a starting off, jumping off place mm-hmm. um, to then find deeper right. for, formation. Yeah. Right. Well, even the recognition of, you know, every time you step inside of the church, Saint whoever by wherever, mm-hmm. it's not going to be summer camp. Right. It's but not going to be your last church. <laughs> yeah. There's something special about Christian community, family, mm-hmm. being together, worshiping together, singing together, intergenerationally, mm-hmm. yeah. people your own age. Mm-hmm. And that camp, campus ministry, going away for a week, going away for a weekend, is part of that. It's not exclusive. Right. Um, and I think that's, you know, when I started at Camp Weed in 2007, I watched a lot of young adults, for lack of a better word, get used. Yeah. They had a lot of energy. They had a lot of love for God and for ministry and for youth and a bunch of Episcopal churches in that diocese picked them off and worked them dry to the bone for three years without any formation on their own and without any mentoring. Yeah, the burnout in youth ministry is really And they burn out and I look on Facebook now and they want nothing to do with the church and some of their parents are priests. So, and and that's the other side of it is the danger of Mm -hmm. you have such a frenzied group that you're interacting with, both youth under 18 and over 18 who are involved. And that was the most hurtful thing for me was watching peers who you could identify, you know, so-and-so has such an incredible ability to lead music or so-and-so has an incredible ability to just connect with people. And the church could so incredibly use that right now. Just get burnt out because they weren't, no one went into their spiritual development with a plan. That's right. So much is true. Um, one of the great things that Jacob has found is that there are an ACA started this, and then our Christian spirituality learnings from his research are, are are adding to this. There are lasting effects that well-run Christian camps have, right? And they last as as def, you know strongly for at least six months, if not longer. And they have to do with self-esteem. They have to do with connection with God. They have to do with with confidence about. Um, orientation to sort of what it means to be human, all these good things. All, one of the first steps that we can do for counselors or for kids or for anyone who's at a kind of a retreat environment that has been pivotal and high and wonderful is stay in touch with them for mm-hmm. those six months even, right? So that we begin to say this wasn't an anomaly in your life. There are people who know it happened, believe it happened. Um, the Bible is full of these stories, right? These, these you know, mountaintop experiences. But we have to come down to earth, and we have to find ways to live our ordinary lives. You know, marriage is not the wedding day, right? Uh, we know this in so many human places. We love our jobs when we first get them, and then the routine sets in. And some days aren't so great, and we say, why am I doing what I'm doing? So that practice of sustaining our commitment to things that matter is is growing up into being fully human and we need each other to do that we need reminders so there are there are so many possibilities that we can take from the goodness of what people experience at camp and just go let's think about that at home if people love camp music help them think at camp about why they love it so much is it just that you're strumming a guitar 
and you can wear blue jeans? Or <laughs> is it something about the words? Is it something about the posture? You know. Yeah. So how do you help them think about how to do that at home, some of that? Um, we just have these siloed experiences that become episodic. And then in a consumer-driven world where we're unfortunately all conditioned to kind of feel like we're entitled to the quality of experience we pay for, in a sense, um, we give up too easily. We, we don't think it's our responsibility to have to work with other people to improve yeah. what it is we're looking for. And I think that's part of the difference between, you know, other Christian camps that, you know, the phrase secular humanism is thrown out a lot about they're just teaching them to be good people and it's kind of surface level. Mm-hmm. Um, and some Episcopal camps that really mm-hmm. commit to, you know, and that is on a diocesan level as right. well, but camps that commit to the experience someone is going to have here is part of formation. Right. And that's intentional. Um, that's, I hate to say deeper because it's not like I've been to a bunch of Methodist and Lutherist and mm. Baptist camps, but on, on my experience, it's Lutherist. more than just Jesus loves you, high five. Right. Um, right. You know, there's a huge difference between that, right. between just teaching a good person mm-hmm. or just teaching to be a good person right. and then teaching and forming and shaping. Well, I think, so... You like, I think there's the good person aspect. So obviously we want you to be a morally good person, but then also the other side is maybe saying inviting. So to me, like if the Holy Spirit is what connects us together. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore is part of the baptism, part of the, um, part of communion and coming to one table. Like if the Holy Spirit is what brings us together, to me it's the inviting camps to be the place where the Holy Spirit brings us together. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's... And then and naming it when we see it. Yes. I mean, I think yeah. we're cheating each other, and are certainly our campers and everybody else. When we make it sound like Christianity is easy, hmm. and it's comfortable, and it's it's sort of just going to make you feel good, we're cheapening all of that is the gospel. The gospel is actually a Tough. radical conversion of yeah. our hearts and our minds and our souls. And we... We, I know young people who are longing for something deeper. I think you all do, right? I mean, they, they feel like they don't, they're not coming to church anymore or to youth group or to camp, not because they don't want church or God, but because it's not actually meaningful to them. They, it's not hard enough. It's not, and it doesn't mean tests and exams around, you know, exact answer. It means believing that they have the capacity to grow and believing that they want to stretch and be challenged to be better people. So I, I think we I think we just we lower the bar the, the secular humanism language you're using when I hear it I see it as our camps want to be so welcoming to all people and we talk about you know religious diversities and so forth my own experience and my own theological convictions are that we honor the diverse religious traditions of others better when we know our own really well so in in religious pluralism you know there's this sort of the sense of are there universal truths and do we start there or do we start with the particular truths and my experience is we do well knowing our particular truths i am much more capable of having a meaningful conversation with a jewish colleague or friend if i can talk about jesus in ways that are meaningful to me mm-hmm. and listen deeply to their understanding of the torah and and why they they have the convictions they have i think we can do that at camp i think we can say this is a christian camp you don't have to be Christian to be here. It's just like it's just like Episcopal schools. The best Episcopal schools teach from a Christian orientation, and they are absolutely welcoming to the the, the Buddhist, the Muslim, the Jew, the atheist, the you know the agnostic. 
you are welcome here because we as Christians believe we are called to love all people. We're called to love the neighbor. Um, but I think we can do that. And I think we shy away from, I think what happens is we don't do anything well because some of our core leaders are not clear enough about what they believe and they're nervous about being sort of outed. And that's not that they're bad people. But then let's bring people in who are comfortable talking about their own discipleship mm-hmm. in language that is accessible and creates an opportunity for someone to imagine a horizon that will help them grow. I think that's a really good answer. Yeah. As you're making faces. I killed off the silent. That wasn't good. I want it to be more exciting. Um, yeah. I think that one thing, and it's a word that is thrown around in the Episcopal Church, is open-mindedness. And, and sometimes it's the fear. I What I see is sometimes I believe it's the fear of almost the anxiety of if I'm, you know, in talking about Jesus too much or the fear of like, oh, I'm not oh, totally by yeah. doing this, I'm like outing this person or that person. And therefore, like, there's just fear of, well, I'll just, you know, we're just going to stick with like the inclusivity and open mindedness. And like, that's all we really need to do right. because we're creating this community. So here's all these words coming together. Right. right? Well, and, and I mean, that, well, I said at the beginning, that's why our presiding bishop is such a gift right now. Right. Is that people love his energy. He's so confident. He's so unapologetically in love with Jesus. Um, what's interesting, you know, when you look at churches, congregations across denominations, the ones that are growing are really clear about their identity. So the ones that are growing, they may be super what we might call conservative theologically, but they're very clear about who they are. Anglo-Catholic churches that are growing in our tradition are really clear about what they believe and how they practice it. The yeah. churches that are struggling are the churches that are trying to be all things to all people, that are sort of in the middle, being nice, being cautious, being hesitant, being, being you know, very earnest, but reluctant to speak their, their particular language of belief. So one of the things I think kids want, and we saw this in the Confirmation Project clearly, they want to articulate a, you know, their creed. They want to say, I believe something, and it's going to make a difference. And I think we need to help all of us come to language like that. It does mean being willing to work with the tradition and saying some of the language we may have inherited or the way we worship doesn't do it for me. But I can't throw it out. There's a theology behind it. There's a reason we do it this way. Teach me about that. And then maybe I'll find my own way back. But we don't give people the building blocks too often. There's In the Episcopal Church right now, I just want to flag this. So Beth Bojarski, who was most recently the executive director of Camp Stevens in Southern California, outside San Diego, a camp that's co-owned by the Diocese of Los Angeles and the Diocese of San Diego, is now living in Ohio. And she is working with us at VTS on something we're calling the Episcopal Camp Formation Project. So she's taking Jacob's incredible research and trying to go a little bit deeper across the Episcopal Church. She's engaging a number of our camp directors, our camp staff, in sort of mining what are we actually doing. You know, we can look at the aggregate research and we can say, oh, I'm not like that or we're like that. Or, you know, but what are we actually doing and what are some of the best practices in our tradition? So there are two surveys out in the world right now, one for campers and, and or, um, not campers, one for um, volunteer staff and one for paid summer camp staff. And we're going to try to get inside their experience, both what they've been doing and what they long for, and then begin to give back to the church as best we can some practice and some ideas and some resources that, that other people have, have used and proven really helpful. Where can people find that? Um, we can find it in a couple different places. So um, I'm sitting here at Forma with a po- postcard in my hand. Um, it is on the um, VTS Lifelong Learning website. 
Okay. Um, and then I will also make sure that it's on the Forma page. It's been on the Forma page a couple of times, but we'll make sure it's there. Okay. And it's very shareable. Awesome. Good. That makes me giddy. Just... Oh, everything Beth you just said. I just yeah. want you guys to know that Eason used the word giddy. There was no movement. There was no facial expression. <laughs> oh, he there was a smile. He is giddy. Air quotes. So I think that's a good place to end on, Easton's giddiness. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, subscribe to us on your podcast app. Leave us a review. Contact us. Let us know if there's something you want to hear us talk about. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. I love that. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank and you so much. We will, uh, you will hear from us next time. Would you close us in a prayer? I'd love to. Yeah. Gracious and loving God, we give thanks for the spirit that is alive at our camps for the spirit that is alive in ministries with young people and young adults. And I give thanks for this podcast. Thanks for people who are open to hearing that spirit and putting words around it in such a way that each of us is drawn deeper to the heart of you. Be with us now as we go forth into the world. Bless our listeners. Be with us as disciples that we may journey lifelong toward the fullness that you would intend for each of us as beloved children of God, formed in baptism as disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.